We're recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. What is going on in the 318? What is our current identity? Shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. Every Thursday, we are having conversations about doing just that. We're talking to people who are making the difference in our city. I'm Josh Clayton. I'm Thomas Young. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Well, thanks so much, Thomas, for having us, uh, you and Josh, on the podcast today. Um, My name is Judy Williams, and I'm quite honored to be here interviewing Dr. Michael Hicks, uh, specifically about a class Michael taught at Centenary called Doing Race. Michael, can you, first of all, tell us a little bit about who you are, and then if you could kind of tell us about the class, describe it briefly. Okay. Um, I'm Michael Hicks. I'm an assistant professor of education at Centenary College of Louisiana here in Shreveport, Louisiana. And a brief description of the class, um, I guess um, about a year ago, I was um, um, politely urged, and I'm saying that to say I was not forced, but I was uh, politely urged uh, by a colleague um, in the English department who uh, coincidentally is over our our TREK uh, program, or what would typically be described as a first-year experience uh, program. Um, I was encouraged to uh, to to participate uh, in the program by designing a course. And so I spent a, a considerable amount of time trying to figure out a course that could um, satisfy a goal of reaching beyond um, just the education majors uh, that I normally come in contact with in the department. And so because my work in education has always centered around race, um, I felt comfortable in designing a course um, that could introduce students to that construct in a way that I thought would be um, uh, experiential uh, in a way that I thought uh, would also be um, inspiring, if you would. And so with those kind of parameters, I set about to kind of design a course. Uh, early on, I found a, a text a text that I consider to be the perfect um, roadmap for this journey that I had kind of started engineering in my mind that I wanted students to to travel with me along. And that text was uh, entitled Doing Race, um, written by a couple of Stanford professors uh, about a decade ago. Uh, the, the textbook consisted of 21 essays that uh, specifically geared toward undergraduates, uh, introduced them to, to race in, in the different ways that we as Americans quote unquote, do race uh, in a way that I thought, um, um, well, in a way that resonated with me as an instructor. And so I'm not that brilliant. I just titled the class directly after the textbook uh, and we pretty much went forward. I put a description up uh, under the urging of that colleague uh, who who directs the TREK program here at Centenary. Her name is Jeannie Hamming. Uh, She is an associate provost now. And uh, again, much of the credit goes to her uh, for really, uh, encouraging me to use my creativity and uh, my expertise to try to uh, enrich the experiences uh, for our students. And so with that, we set off, Judy, and um, uh, to bring this story to an end, one of, the, one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to connect my students with members of our community 
um, who could provide different voices along the way. And so, Judy, you were uh, probably uh, the most important of those community members. You and I connected um, uh, just about uh, about learning, and and we connected over just wanting to to, to be better humans. And I felt that whatever input you could provide in that class, it would be one that would be uh, inspirational for my students and one that would teach me uh, something about this human experience. And so um, I called you, I gave you a copy of my syllabus, and I said, pick out some dates on the calendar. I want you to join us. And you and other members of our community came in uh, those first few months, um, and we um, uh, we started on a uh, on a path. And I guess um, it is the last day of April as we record this podcast, and uh, here we are now. So that's the <laughs> that's in the <laughs> nutshell. And I guess you'll ask questions to kind of give our listeners uh, details on uh, in between from that time when we first when I first got the idea to now April 30th. Well, thank you for that, Michael. Obviously, a lot has transpired since then. I was privileged to be a member of your class. Um, we can talk later about how it changed me, but um, but I'm curious about the, the doing race part because that was new to me. Um, what does doing race mean? Well, um, the authors suggest that there are ways that uh, that each one of us, consciously and subconsciously, do race. Um, and that can mean different things to different people. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, the, the, the diversity of race that was exhibited in my class, meaning I had African Americans, I had um, uh, white Americans, um, Central Americans. We had folks from. We had folks of of of, of complex ethnicities, and so, you know, I, I guess that diversity of of the class kind of guided, you know, my teaching of how we do race. I learned from these young people that ways that I had um, kind of set in my mind as a man in his forties of of how just the way it is and how Americans do race currently, whether it be how we do it institutionally through, uh, through our uh, penal system or, or, or our education system or just our everyday interactions with one another, just the little, the little uh, processes we uh, develop in our thinking that allow us to, uh, uh, to stay sane in some instances. I, I learned from these young folk that um, I wasn't exactly uh, correcting my thoughts, uh, and I emerged uh, from that uh, from this class experience. Today is indeed our last day of class. Right now, well, not right now. They'll start in about 54 minutes. Uh, they'll uh, commence their final exam. So, I think I uh, took away from this semester a uh, kind of an unlimited definition of doing race. And so now I would answer that question: uh, Doing race is how. Uh, I would describe the concept of doing race as something that each human has to develop through education and a sheer hatred of ignorance. Meaning there's some things that we do about race, uh, some ways we do race that are just, I mean, <laughs> just based on 
false information, the way we confuse race and ethnicity, the way we uh, we blur ancestry into um, ability. Uh, it's just kind of, um, you know, I don't want to be too uh, obtuse in this, but, you know, I don't want to give our listeners a, 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 a cookie cutter definition of doing race. I hope uh, the listeners to this uh, podcast, being the creative and intellectual, intellectual beings that they are, I hope that this will just plant a seed for them to say, wow, what does this guy mean, do race? And how do I do race? Do I do race? Do I do other races? How do I do other races? And when do I do other races? And through those questions, that ignorance will 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 be subsided, and it will encourage them to 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 read more, or to to ask a courageous question, or to uh, to go there, to to go places that you know their thoughts or their um, um, their normal days, uh, their normal daily lives would not have asked them uh, uh, to even visit. And so um, I guess that that would be the answer I'd want to leave on record. I love your definition or your your thought about some of this being spawned by hatred of ignorance, because that really expands, you know, expands to almost everyone who who can think that way. But you also mentioned that the class corrected some of your thoughts. Can you give me an example of a thought that you had before you taught this class and how the students corrected that thought? Hmm. I guess there are a lot. Um, I guess there are several, you know, and I, I shudder to, uh, to begin this because number one, I don't want to expose my own ignorance, but that's okay. You know, that, I'm I'm far more ignorant about things than I am about things I'm certain of. Um, <laughs> but I'll just, uh, you know, one comes to mind without getting too, you know, um, um, too, uh, too detailed about specific students, I'll, I'll make this general statement. And this is something that I, um, I'm not going to say um, it was something that I believed and, and that I, I unlearned. It's something that surprised me. Um, I thought, okay, and I begin this com I begin this class with a week, uh, with a week of of establishing the energy for our class. I spent three class periods just establishing the fact that this was going to be their class. And that I was going to facilitate the the learning. I was going to be their guide. But whatever we created, because the goal of of this class, Judy, was to come up with a a, a project uh, that we could present at the student research um, conference, uh, which coincidentally was canceled due to the pandemic. But uh, you know, I didn't want this to be the students' uh, version of a Michael Hicks project on race on the Centenary campus. I didn't want that at all. I wanted it to be organic. And so I spent um, a lot of time, I put a lot of energy into that first week, uh, just establishing the ground rule about, you know, what it would take. And so I just wanted to elicit their willingness and their effort to dive into this. And I posed it to them as such. I said, I was crazy enough to propose a course where we talked about one of the most taboo subjects in America. And you guys were crazy enough to sign up for it. So really, <laughs> what is stopping us from really going there? And so I believe in that first week, 
the students just, uh, they believed me, they believed in each other. You know, I said, look, this is gonna be about our effort. And I want you to calm down your nervousness on, on grades and exams. I want you to know that this class will be based on the energy and the effort you put into our subject matter. It'll be based on the creativity that you uh, provide. It'll be based on your accountability to each other. And so um, having spent that time uh, in the first week kind of laying that groundwork, you know, I, my hope was that I would uh, decrease that time of awkwardness where white students don't want to say things in fear of being uh, singled out as uh, making a mistake and being racist. And then black students didn't want to say anything because they didn't want to be put in that mode of having to represent the entire black race. I wanted to decrease that and just say, look, you know, we're just people here trying to build some knowledge. What surprised me, Judy, was how quickly that took. Like literally within that next week, uh, we had an assignment where I gave the students a poem from Langston Hughes and asked them to take uh, this poet's uh, expression about identity in a classroom and relate it to yourself. And in that assignment, that second week, I got some of the most candid, um, just honest, most real expressions that I've ever collected as an instructor. Um, I asked some of those students to, uh, they, they could present it in a narrative or a poem, whatever their reaction to that Langston Hughes uh, poem was. Uh, theme for English B is the name of the poem uh, for your listeners. But when those students got up in front of the class, and this was really, you know, I spent the first three sessions kind of, you know, <laughs> you know, doing the most lecturing I think I did the whole semester. And so this was their first time to really start hearing each other's voices and the things that they said about their identity and what they wanted to learn and, you know, how they wanted to challenge me as a professor and, you know, how they how they knew they participated in some things that were that were based on just flawed um flawed ways of thinking and how even how they did not agree with what their parents you know uh uh were expressing as their worldviews. i was shocked you know and so i think uh by the second week I, I i pretty much realized that you know there's something magical going on in this classroom you know where these 18 19 year old students are able to get away from their their, their sports i had a lot of student athletes very driven students they're able to get away from their their other majors, uh, whether they're science majors or music majors, you know, they're they're able to get away from their dorm affiliation or their or their rush affiliation, and they're just able to come in here and be young adults and talk about the economy, the, the kind of America that they want to live in, and um, you know, it was just um, it was surprising and, and overwhelming that it would happen so quickly with such um, with such a diverse group you know, of students. I had students, you know, within that first assignment, some students let me know that they were pro-liberation uh, of all Black people. Uh, they, they they were able to express that. There were some students who let me know that they were uh, staunch, conservative, and Republican in their thoughts, and that's what they were going to bring to this class. But each one of those expressions was real and valid and just moved me in a way that uh, that uh, very few uh, few classes as a whole have have been able to move me. That's a beautiful description, Michael, because you're really telling a story about people who came together and were willing to be extraordinarily vulnerable 
and also supportive of each other in their differences. That's that's one of the things that really touched me. It was magical. Uh, it is magical. And what I noticed was because they were such a diverse slice of America, which you mentioned, there were a lot of people in that room that you knew in various ways had been discriminated against themselves. And they brought that to the table as well. But as you looked at them at that multi-racial, multi-ethnic class, um, did that change how you view the future for students, for Shreveport, for America? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think just their ability to to hear each other and to listen to each other. Um, you know, whenever I uh, um, I broke the the class into pods, and so we had three pods. Once I got to know them after a couple weeks. Um, um, I did the pod assignments very, um, in a very calculated way in order to bring out the best of each one of those students. And so, you know, as they started working in those pods and, you know, those interpersonal relationships started developing and, and just, you know, you could see it progress session after session, their ability to listen uh, and to hear each other. Uh, you know, you talk about being discriminated against, there was a, uh, uh, a situation where uh, two black men in the class, two freshmen, um, had gone home over the weekend, and 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 when they uh, had traveled together, they had been stopped uh, uh, by a law enforcement official uh, on the way home, and so it was a situation that they felt was unfair, and they described the situation and and the questions that they were asked, and and the fear um, uh, of this of this situation they had on this dark road one night in Texas. And I mean, just, um, I mean, it was visceral, the understanding, you know, there were some folks who, you know, have heard and some, and, and have, you know, maybe even think that some of that stuff is propaganda about, you know, young black men and the police. And so to see the class kind of, you know, hear that student, those two students expression and just to kind of, to kind of see how these young, we, again, we're talking 18 year olds, Judy, to see these young people kind of manage that, you know, in a way where, you know, we, you know, I've seen talking heads on the news stations talk about those things. I, as an adult, have talked about, you know, situations I've read and I know what adults feel about it, but to see, you know, how those students analyze it. And I mean, not just, you know, oh, woe is me. I mean, you know, one of the roles uh, within those pods is to be a pushback artist. And so I tell them to develop that. I don't want them to be the devil's advocate, but I want them to, to learn what it is to critique and to synthesize information. And so, you know, there's always the element of pushback on everything we talk about, everything we read, you know, everything we discuss. Is it true? Is it factual? You know, what does it mean? You know, and so they got to a point where they could expect that pushback. And so even in that situation, you know, to hear to hear their discussion, which was, you know, um, um, it was intellectual, it was, um, it was human, uh, it was, uh, if it was a glimpse of the future and how, you know, millennials or, or Generation Z or, or whoever is after them will approach these issues, you know, of course, with them being the most diverse generation of Americans that we've ever had, you know, um, I'm very hopeful, let me say that, I'm very hopeful and um, um, very happy. I had the same feeling being in the class. Um, 
not only hopeful and happy, but profoundly moved by their willingness to listen to each other, to share difficult things with each other, to support each other, um, to tell their own stories. And because they, they look like America looks now, and that gave me a great deal of hope as well. I know when you started on campus, um, you know, it was a new thing. What was the feeling on campus about the class when it started? And what do you think the feeling is now that the class is ending? Wow, that's a good question. I have my, um, <clears throat> pardon me, I have my syllabus pulled up. And so I want to read to you the very brief course description because this is the course description that was put out in the fall to the student body, uh, of course, of freshmen who were eligible to take the course. But here's what the description said, okay? And so the description was out about a week. And then I had a conversation with one of my uh, one of my students. And so um, I'm going to tell you about the conversation after, but I'm going to read the description first. The description says, black, white, brown. This social construct of race touches every aspect of our lives and profoundly, though sometimes unnoticeably, affects what we do and what is done to us. By utilizing current science and scholarship stretching across academic disciplines and through the lived experiences of invited guest presenters, we will analyze what it means to do race in America, in Louisiana, and the Deep South, and even here at Centennial. For those with a heart for human connection and who want to hear just as much as they want to be heard, this course will be a journey into understanding how we, beginning with those of us in this course, can deal with our differences differently, and in fact, better, okay? Now, I thought that was an inspiring, you know, uh, course description. Yes, the course is called Doing Race, so I know it's, you know, a taboo title, but I thought the description would appeal to students who uh, would connect with what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to put the Michael Hicks philosophy or the Michael Hicks version of critical race theory into these students. What I'm trying to do is, you know, create a form, uh, design a journey, if you will. And so, Judy, that description had been out to the student body for about a week, and one of my education majors, who's a freshman, came to me, and I mean, in the just most cheerful way, and I love the student, by the way, she said, Dr. Hicks, so I hear you're teaching the I Hate White People course. <laughs> Yeah, and so, you know, she and I, and I, think, I read the description again, I said, uh, no, it's not the I Hate White People course. I know it's a Black man teaching a course on race, but it's not that. And so, you know, even though that was kind of funny, it did kind of put me in that mode of, of being nervous and, and really kind of being timid about it. You know, I, I second-guessed the whole, uh, the whole project, you know, from that conversation. I said, wow, you know, maybe this was you know, maybe this was not the right form or the, the right way. I mean, I'm not doing something brand new. There are other scholars on this campus who have um, who have delved into the intersection of race and what it means to be American. Uh, Michelle Wolkemere in our philosophy department uh, teaches courses on the subject. Chris Ketty in philosophy. Uh, Lauren Demarath in, in sociology and in poli sci. So, you know, I know that the subject matter, uh, you know, uh, it stretches across uh, uh, the, the curriculum of the campus, but, you know, I just got nervous, Julie, and so, you know, here I said, man, I'm in my second year, you know, uh, um, and I've messed up. I've messed up. I've gotten out here, and I've done something. Uh, I've made a mistake, 
And so, uh, honestly, you know, uh, there was a period of, of, of uneasiness. Um, but then I just settled back, you know, and uh, after uh, much prayer and meditation, you know, I realized, you know, something, and, and that is that um, Karen Soul, uh, Dr. Soul is the provost at the college, but at the time of my hiring, she was chair of the Department of Education. And she hired me, you know, knowing my background in, in, in race and community and social justice. And she told me when she brought me to her department, you know, that she was hiring me because I was going to do great things in this department and that I could bring a level of, of expertise and perspective um, that the campus needed. And so uh, because she was just so bold and so confident in, 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 in her um, uh, in, in what she said to me, I said, you know, I can't betray that confidence of, of, of the provost. Uh, and so, in fact, what started to happen as we got closer to the spring semester, Judy, I noticed that, you know, uh, and I wasn't obsessive about it, but I would check the, the records, the, the registration records every few days. I noticed that that, that class started filling up. And so what I thought uh, was going to happen would be that no one would sign up for that class and that, you know, maybe students would be forced to take it or they'd ask me to, you know, maybe, you know, you know, to do something else. But, you know, I'd have to check with our registrar, but I'm almost positive that, you know, this was one of the first classes uh, to fill up out of all the spring uh, uh, trek or kind of FYE courses. So those things that just kind of gave me a little confidence that hey this might be scary Mike it might be scary for you it might be a little scary for your students but um it's gonna all work out well you were going out on a limb in a way and I can see why that might have been scary for you initially but it it looked to me in participating in the class that it became broader than just the centenary campus that you were actually designing a journey for a multi-ethnic Shreveport, in fact, a multi-ethnic America, uh, because this is what America looks like. So uh, I hope that paid off for you in realizing that it was a bigger than what you initially thought. You know, yeah, and, you know, that's something I guess I'll have to sit down and, you know, talk with you a little about more, you know, so I can learn a little bit about that. Of course, you know, whenever you design learning experiences, you want to make it as rich and fulfilling as, as possible. And so, you know, I recognize your voice uh, was important uh, to the class and could be uh, beneficial to my learning as well, but there were others, you know, um, I don't, I don't remember if you were in the class that day, but we had a, a school board member who represents, I was. Yeah. Yeah, okay, who represents the district that the college is in, Don Little. Don Little is a good friend of mine. Uh, Don Little and I could not be any more apart on the uh, political spectrum or our philosophy, um, but we're friends, and I don't, I don't agree with all my friends. I think that's you know why they're. Friends. <laughs> I don't know if I'd vote for his who uh, yes man me all the time, but you know, uh, Don is um, is an, is a dedicated public servant, and he is involved in the public education of, of students, not just from this district, but throughout our parish. And so I wanted our students to, 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 to be exposed to, to people who deal with issues of race in their everyday job and who come from different um, um, political uh, and philosophical perspectives. And so Don was the first. There were other uh, elected 
representatives who I had scheduled to visit the class. Of course, you know, the pandemic kind of slowed a lot of things down. Um, I was blessed, uh, Judy, with your help to get um, um, to get Ms. Roxanne um, uh, um, in, in our class. And um, <laughs> when Roxanne Johnson came in, I think the energy just kind of uh, went to another level. So uh, she doesn't know it, but Roxanne Johnson was going to be a, 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 a man, an integral part of the second half of the semester. So just little things like that, you know, to hear the experiences of someone who, you know, uh, deals with uh, race from a city council perspective. Or, or from a school board perspective, or from, in uh, Roxanne's uh, instance, uh, from from a nonprofit perspective. I think it gave the students, um, um, uh, it did more than what I thought it would do. It, it not only gave them another person's perspective, but it showed like, you know what, this is all of our jobs to figure this thing out. You know, this is not just the educators. It's not just the politicians. It's not just the retirees. It's not just the college kids. This is everyone's job to figure out how do we do our differences and, and, and do them better. You know, we have to do them differently than we do them now. You know, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think that's what you'll tell me when you and I get a chance to talk. But but I think that's one of the things that, that, that came to life uh, uh, in terms of, of that class. I think you've touched on something really important that is important to a much larger conversation than just this class. In fact, it's important nationally. I think the reason it resonated so deeply with people, certainly with me, I, I just felt something flower inside myself when I sat in that class is because it struck a very deep chord about how we move forward in this society of people who are so different from each other. How do we, how are we vulnerable with each other? How do we share genuinely who we are? How can we be supportive of our differences? And that is a much bigger message than any college class could have. I, I think that's part of why it resonated so much. So I, I need to ask you if there are any moments in the class that particularly stand out to you. Um. I guess one, uh, you know, <laughs> one of the moments that made me smile the most was um, I have these chili peppers in my class. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you've received one, and I so um, what happened was, you know, I, you know, I, look, there is. Um, uh, I, I guess Ralph Waldo Emerson said it best. You know, the best ideas come from others. And so I happened to be in our career services office uh, one day. I was up there. I think visiting uh, uh, Dr. Ticchetti in his office and just passed through. And I saw this stack of uh, this box kind of chili peppers. Um, they're shaped like a chili pepper. They're like five inches long and they're stress relievers. So they're kind of cushiony and you're supposed to kind of grab it and squeeze it. And the chili peppers shaped like a chili pepper, you know, of course it fits in your hand. And so they're these bright red colors and, you know, and they're soft again, they're squeezable things. And so I, you know, I just had a quick idea when I saw them, I said, man, I would love to have those. And if someone says something hot in my class, I can throw it at them and it won't hurt them. And so <laughs> that was just a quick, silly idea I happened to have. And so I inquired about them and I said, look, can I have some of these? 
and they gave me a boxing. So um, <laughs> I brought it to my classroom. So let me calm anybody from the college down who's listening. I do not throw them at students. <laughs> but, um, but I do give them to my students who bring the heat in class. And so there's sometimes like, uh, you know, I teach education courses and, uh, you know, ours is a, we're in the people business. And so you know, there's sometimes students say such profound things that even the students look at each other and I look at them and, you know, they, and so there's just this moment. I needed something to recognize that moment and the chili pepper is perfect. And so I've been using them. And there was uh, one day, I guess the third or fourth week, Julie, and I do not remember if this is a class you had visited, but um, one young lady had said something um and I don't even remember what exactly she said. And I'm hoping I'm thinking of the right student because, I, you know, I, my, my memory is just bursting with, with all kinds of stories of each one of these kids. But uh, one, of the, one, one student said something and everybody in class just kind of looked at each other. And I had told them, I said, look, in this class, I'm not giving any peppers out unless we all can agree that, that whatever was said was hot. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so we all kind of looked at each other and and no one said anything and i just went and got the the basket of chili peppers and i just kind of poured them in front of this young lady's so we all just went wild and so uh that was one of the that was one of the the, the best experiences i've had and there's another um, there's another professor who teaches uh in a classroom in the classroom closest to mine, Dr. Pete Zuni, who teaches psychology. So <laughs> Dr. Zuni had to ask me, uh, Mike, is everything okay? Uh, <laughs> it's fine, Pete. We just got a little excited and trekked this morning. So, uh, so yeah, that's one of the best memories I have was the pouring out of the chili peppers because there was so much heat uh, being brought up in my class. <laughs> One of the things I thought you did a great job of, in addition to recognizing when people brought the heat in your class, was teaching them to think for themselves and that they didn't need you to guide them in what they were doing. And I was there when they kicked you out of the class, would not let you come back in because they wanted to talk about their research project without you. And you weren't in there, but it just caught fire because you had set the stage for that. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's a good example of, of, of the power of that first week that I spent just laying down to the students that this is your class. And so, you know, I wanted the accountability to be between them. And I wanted them to learn and understand that these are freshman students. And so part of the responsibility is to give them a, an experience that will, will bolster them as, as scholars throughout their, their time. And so I wanted them to learn and to take away from this class that it's not just about, you know, the things that they, they've, they've experienced in K-12, collaborative group work, group projects, uh, making a PowerPoint together. Yeah, th there's, a, there's a purpose in that. But I wanted them to understand what it's like to be accountable to another person in their pod, for them to say to their pod member, listen, I'm going to be the um, one role I have is the passage commander. And so the passage commander has to say, listen, I'm going to pick, I'm going to scour this essay, this article, you know, and I'm going to pick out two or three passages that I think really 
um, can really guide our discussion or really bring out certain things. I'm going to bring that back to the pod. If the pod uh, agrees, then these are going to be our passages that we use to kind of anchor our discussion. They weren't doing presentations to me, you know, and, and so I think that was kind of a change too. I used a, a strategy uh, from the discipline of sociology, uh, a, a focused reading discussion group. And so that was the point of the pod, from the getting in. Each one have a different role, you know, but they, they had to present a discussion. If they were going to present anything, they had to discuss that essay or that article uh, in front of the class. Uh, some One person had to uh, uh, connect it to uh, something current, you know. Uh, one person was responsible for a graphic uh, or, or, or illustrating you know, uh, their point. So, you know, I, I think, again, Judy, I, and I know I spent a lot of time talking about that first week, but it, it just, it, it happened. I believe they trusted me, and I, I believe that when I put them in those pods, that they they recognized that I had taken time to get to know them, and that I truly wanted them to uh, to grow in this class, not to memorize a certain set of facts about race uh, in America and be tested on that twice a semester, but rather create some experiences that will, um, number one, help them academically for the rest of their college career, uh, and number two, probably uh, just most important to their uh, development as humans, uh, uh, create experiences that would help shape their thoughts going forward, uh, create experiences that would help uh, fill in information where there once was ignorance, create experiences that would give them the freedom to ask certain questions or say certain things. I mean, these kids, I mean, these, and I say kids, and that's, that's, that is not correct. These young adults, um, I mean, were able to talk to each other in a way um, um, that wasn't insulting. They talked about each other's um, um, uh, dress, uh, hairstyles. I saw them uh, debate uh, other things in uh, in pop culture, certain mean, all these things that have racial connotations. You know, to see these young people talk about them and even talk about them, you know, uh, when they were specific to each other, you know, or, you know, to tell each other why it's not cool for you to say certain things or why, or why when you wear that, it says something different as opposed to why when someone else wears that. And how you say this in certain situations is disrespectful and demeaning as opposed to how you say it in another situation. So to see them kind of, you know, to kind of take charge early, you know, I wasn't surprised. And, and, and Judy, to be honest, that wasn't the first time they kicked me out of their class. Now, when I, <laughs> when I told them, when I told them it was their class, they believed it. So I believe on that, when I said, uh, they had, I believe, one or two class sessions to give me their outline of that presentation that was going to be put, composed by the whole class. And I was going to red pin it. And so I, you know, I think I, I gave them a little time in their class and they wanted me nowhere around. So, so yeah, some people, some people might be, um, you know, uh, I, I know that my provost and, and my bosses may hear this and if they hear that I got kicked out of class, you know, I know some people might be worried. I'm hoping that they hear that, you know what I mean? Because, you know, those who, who teach around me and who, are, who certainly have evaluated, we know that, you know, it's that kind of, those kind of situations are when I'm most alive. When I'm being Absolutely. kicked out of a class by 17. Absolutely. Who tell us, look, we got to refine our ideas and we don't want you in there, Professor. That's probably one of the moments when I feel most alive, Judy. Because you empowered them to do exactly that, to start thinking for themselves. So 
you taught them that it was okay and desirable to do that. I'm wondering what your students taught you. Um, I'm going to learn that. Um, I believe as I start grading their finals that, I, that they will start taking a few minutes because one of the questions I have on the final is that um, Dr. Hicks has selected you to help design doing race part two next spring. Detail which elements uh, which weren't included in this course you would like to see covered, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, I'll just tell you, if I have any, um, or rather I'll say it this way, all evidence leads me to believe that one of those students will give me the seeds <laughs> of the ideas of how to teach this again. So uh, um, that's a hallmark of my teaching, you know, uh, student voice. And so that may be one of the most in, uh, important assessments on their final exam, you know, to know um, what they felt uh, they could have covered or what they would have liked to grasp, uh, you know, I, and I'm really looking forward to, to, to that data. But, um, but, but I don't know, Judy, I, I think I started this on such a um, idealistic, you know, um, thing. You know, I didn't want to just teach, uh, you know, this is the Michael Higgs uh, comparative analysis of race in America. Have a seat. Take your text. <laughs> Let's go to page. Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be honest, I've had some courses that even on, you know, on topics, uh, on, on, on subject matter, this, you know, um, uh, pertinent to everyone's life. You know, I, you know, I think it could be delivered in a way that you know, um, without student voice, uh, could turn folk off. And so, you know, again, I, I, you know, I want to keep harping on it, but just that first week, you know, and I, as this summer gives me more time to reflect, you know, something magical happened in that first week, you know, and I don't know if it's because, you know, I don't know what was in the, the mindset of the students when they registered for that course. I mean, they had to tell their friends themselves, their parents, yeah, you know, I, I get to choose one trek course uh, this semester and I'm going to choose the one about race. You know, that was a bold statement and some students did it boldly. Some right. students did it, you know, uh, out, of a, out, of, out of a sense of intrigue and a sense of wanting to know, but, but they had the same fears and anxieties that I had, you know, and that other folks had. So I think that those first few classes when I said, look, some of us are boldly here, some of us are here because we don't know. There are a couple of students I'm, I'm positive are here because your advisor said, you got to take this course <laughs> because I have friends who are, who are advisors and I'm sure some of them wanted to support, you know, me being the new guy teaching a new course. But, you know, that time we spent just developing that, that, that initial relationship of, you know, uh, of trust. You know, I think they, they they trusted that I wasn't there to indoctrinate them with some predetermined philosophy or thought that I wanted them to leave with. That just absolutely wasn't the case. So it's not like I was trying to hide, you know, some ulterior motive. Uh, and then they believed me when I said that it would be their class, you know, uh, that they would, they would have to be accountable to each other and that it would be based on their effort. Uh, you know, uh, their effort and their willingness to uh, to read, you know, just to read and to think and to talk. And so, <laughs> right. Um, you know, we we um, we we accomplished a lot more than I thought we would. You know, th this this interview really has me kind of, you know, um, 
appreciating, you know, normally I don't get a chance to really reflect until after the semester concludes and, you know, once exams and scoring is final, then I can kind of step away and come back. But this has given me kind of an opportunity to really, you know, and I'm glad it's given me an opportunity to really see, you know, uh, some special things about um, these students and, and what they taught me and how that will impact my practice, um, um, not only in uh, courses where uh, race or uh, equality or equity or or diversity or those type of issues are discussed, but but in all my courses. And so, um, you know, in one of my, um, I'm preparing messages to my students that I sent after the final exam. And, you know, one of the things that I'm sending um, just a generic class message, you know, not that I'm sending to each individual student, that's going to be, <coughs> excuse me, very personal, but in the generic class message, you know, I'm letting them, uh, I've kind of pre-written it and I've, I've kind of let them know in a way that I hope they understand that I'm being as genuine as possible, that, that, that these group of, of students who I will see on this campus for the next three years, you know, that they have changed me and made me a better person. They by allowing me to to learn and grow with them and to see them when they're vulnerable and to see me say, you know, hey, here's how I once thought. And when I got better information, I thought differently. To to, to kind of to be to have them extend themselves and, and to have extended myself, it just um, I don't know, it changed me for the better. Well, you've described several times beautifully this class as magical. I had the same feeling about the class. So you just uh, talked about part of what was magical about it, which had very little to do with any kind of textbook, but had more to do with the fact that you connected with each other and you changed each other. I just read a quote recently that said, you don't go somewhere to make a difference. You go somewhere to make you different. And that's what I think I saw happen to all of us in that class. So I'm looking now at the broader picture of Shreveport, of our city, and then maybe even beyond that regionally, nationally. What lessons do you think Shreveporters could learn from your class? Yeah, um, I think, you know, the obvious lesson is that you know, it's good that there are groups and organizations, and I support all of them that are doing this kind of, you know, the, the human services and quote work of of helping people do our differences differently. You know, they, they're they're scattered throughout this city. Um, good programs, good meaningful programs that are helping folks, you know, do what we talked about at the beginning. You know, and 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 destroy the darkness of ignorance. You know, but I think one lesson, you know, uh, from this experience is that we need to include young people in those programs, in those conversations, in those dialogues, in those classes, in those dinners, in those programs. Um, and that's something that I don't know if I didn't really fully appreciate until um, I took this journey with these students. Um, their ideas are more important. And, and I bring the baggage of being born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, educated in the 90s, you know, being a grown man in the new millennium. Like I bring the baggage of those experiences and these young folk who will be charged with determining the direction of American life. And I'm uh, 
far beyond the, the stretches of this physical world. I mean, their ideas are important and we need to listen and validate them. And I think we'd be surprised and, and not just in a stereotypical way. I don't think it would, I think it would surprise us um, um, on all levels. Uh, some of the, the present day vitriol you see in the media and, and the, way we, the way we've gotten so separated you know, uh, we can't even deal with folk who, who aren't, you know, a part of our team or are in our bubble or who don't listen to this set of podcasts or who don't ascribe to these uh, cable news. <laughs> I mean, like we've gotten so, whether we admit it or not, and, and, just, and what I learned that is to some of these young people who, who were babies, you know, uh, uh, when President Bush was uh, in office, I mean, it's stupid. It makes no sense, and we don't understand why we make why we waste so much time doing it. So, <laughs> I guess that's what I'm mostly do. But Thomas, did you have something to? Yeah, add? I was. That's basically exactly what I was going to say. Is is the the younger you know generations that are a couple decades younger than we are? They they have experience. They have the sort of ability to see one another for for their differences and and be able to move through that a little bit better i think the older you get you the more you sort of you know segregate yourself into that bubble i think that you were referring to where oh i'm like this this is what i like that's and then you you kind of you're able to do that when you're younger you don't have that ability you have to you know you're going to school you have to take you know maybe your counselor said you got to take this class and then they came in but then that gave them some ability to have a, a uh, some discourse with somebody else who's different than they are and that gives them the ability to learn and move forward and I think the young the, when you're younger you're able to do that more and that's why that's uh, I think important for those people to like you said have a voice because you know if if we ca you know if you can only do it the one way that that's just that, that road goes nowhere you have to, I mean, if you, like you said, uh, Dr. Hicks, that you have some political differences with your friends doesn't mean they're not your friends. It just means you think differently about something. And, and I think the faster that collectively as a campus, as a community, as a, you know, country, the faster that you can get to like, all right, look, everybody has different views and points of view. That's fine. That doesn't mean that you're wrong. It means that you have a different point of view and you can't just not listen to the other people. That's not the way this works. And I think that young people really, that would really be a nice, uh, you know, a nice way to, to include, you know, like what's your point of view when you're 20 versus 40 versus 60 versus 80. Like all of those points of view, if you step back, are probably very similar, but we, we tend to get, uh, you know, a, a sort of a laser focused on the thing that we want to push forward and, and not pay attention to the other things. And, and I think that's sure. detriment to the, to the future of everything. Yeah, so so Thomas, I guess based on that, can you imagine for a couple of months, man, I've just kind of been free. 
you know, I've been, you know, I was able to, as an adult, who's, you know, firmly in his own little, you know, bubble, I was able to, to be bubble less. And, right. and, and, and that's a good feeling. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, because uh, Judy and I spoke about this class uh, a, a bit, a while back and she was, I think, I'm not, I don't want to speak for you, but, but it seemed like it really had a lot of effect on you too. And, and maybe that's, that's kind of the point is, you know, if everybody got together and kind of was able to learn to speak to each other with respect and understand like, you know, what you know and what I know are different. Uh, and maybe we think differently, uh, initially, but there's gotta be some, some ground where we can overlap and, and, you know, move forward. Otherwise we're just going to, you know, it's going to be a deadlocked, you know, nobody's going anywhere. That's a great point, Thomas, because if we hold, or if I hold, that everyone's opinion is valid to them, whether I agree with it or not, no matter how strongly I may disagree with it, their opinion is valid to them. So how can I hear that with an open heart and listen for where we might connect and where we might connect is going to be usually underneath the words. It's not going to have anything to do with the words, but if I listen open-heartedly enough and go deep enough under under the words, there's a connection there. How can I find that connection? How can I listen for that connection? That was one of the powers of the that the class had on me. Mm. So Michael, Thomas would probably ask you this, uh, and I will ask you this. What text would you send everybody in the city of Shreveport? I have, uh, I know that that's a, a theme with these podcasts, but I have struggled with that. So it's not as, um, um, it's not as easy for me to say, um, I don't know, Judy. I, I've, I've struggled with that for a week. You know what I mean? I don't want to, um, I don't know. Well, that's something to think about for the future because it's hard to put into just a few words, but just having this conversation has allowed me to think about it. And I think what I would say is listen to others with an open heart and let your actions be guided by who you want to be in the world. That's one of the things that your class really reinforced for me. Wow. I guess this, um, mm. Now, I guess this class, uh, even going back to, to to the book recommendation, you know, it would make me want to talk and get to know with every uh, get to know every person in Shreveport, and then based on that understanding of who they are and, and who I am at that moment, then make a recommendation to that person for a specific book. For right. some people, it might be coats. For some people, it might be um, I don't know. It could be anybody. Uh, it could be the Bible, you know, uh, but I, I think um, this class strengthened um, um, a desire uh, in me to seek out the human connection in all people. And if this is the work that is um, that will, you know, be descriptive of my life's work, you know, being an educator, then then I'm I'm good with that. And I'm excited about uh the journey. I want to teach this class again. I want to teach it um, on on a college campus. I want to teach it uh, in a public forum. I want to teach it 
uh, in Louisiana. I want to teach it in Central America. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. it's going to resonate wherever you go. So thank you, Michael, for this really illuminating conversation and for including me in a class that was truly, as I told you at the very beginning, for me, life-changing. Well, thank you. And let me say this, Judy, um, you know, the coronavirus kind of, you know, threw havoc in the semester, but in one of our last Zoom sessions, um, I told the students that I talked with you and, and, and you had, uh, you know, told me that you were thinking about them and, you know, if we weren't social distancing, you know, we, you know, and we're still here, you'd still be with them. And I think that that just kind of, that gave the whole class a, a, a burst of energy. You know, it was hard <laughs> going from that in-class situation to try to recreate our thing, you know, on Zoom. But whenever uh, I could tell that the Zoom energy was low, I got to throw in Judy Williams <laughs> and that would hurt everything. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thomas, anything else? No, I just really appreciate you guys taking the time and, and uh, hopefully uh, we get to hear some more about, uh, you know, the next time you teach the class. I'd really like yeah. to, to hear about it um, and, and how it evolves. Be nice for you to come to the class and see for yourself. Yeah, Thomas, next time I'll let the students do this. I, I don't want to be anywhere near the uh, right. microphone. I want them to tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, we'd love to hear from them. Thank you both. I really appreciate this was very easy. All right, well, and you was, guys. Uh, it was my pleasure. Yeah, thanks Thomas, so much for doing it. Let us let us know whenever it's ready. I know you've got some more current content to post first, so just let us know. Will do. And thank you guys. Thank you, you guys stay safe out there. You too. Likewise, thank you. Thomas. All right. Thank you, Michael. All right, Judy. Talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.